We come now to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and we have in our passage today one of the most beautiful invitations that Jesus ever offers. A beautiful invitation from our Lord. I'm excited to come back to Matthew 11. It's been a few years. I've uh, preached on this passage before, but now I get to do it within the context of this series on Matthew. So I hope we hear it with fresh hearts and uh, fresh minds, and we have a little more texture and understanding as we're walking through this series in Matthew. It's a beautiful invitation, and uh, I'm sure when you hear it, you'll, you'll recognize the invitation. It is an invitation to, of all things, it is Jesus' invitation to rest. Now let me ask you, could anyone use some rest? That's a rhetorical question, I think, yeah. Sorry, some of you were sleeping. Could any of you use (laughs) some rest? You know, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, about one in three adults in the United States reported not getting enough rest or sleep every day. In 2014, the CDC reported 35% of all adults in the U.S. experience short sleep duration. That's anything less than seven hours. Are you guys getting over seven hours every night, knocking them out? Nearly 40% of adults report falling asleep during the day without meaning to. At least once a month, an estimated 50 to 70 million Americans have chronic ongoing sleep disorders. I'm not trying to make light of this. I'm just trying to picture my own extended family when we gather for a holiday after a big meal like Thanksgiving or Christmas. And there in the afternoon, it looks like there's been a gas leak. Everyone is just (laughs) knocked out, right? You know, in 1942, the average American got eight hours of sleep. In 1910, it was nine hours, I suppose, because we didn't have phones to keep us awake. But in all these sleep studies, they say the same thing. We're just not getting enough sleep. And the number one thing these sleep studies suggest is that lost sleep is not to be made up for during a sermon. So those, (laughs) would you agree with me though? There is, would you agree with me? There is a difference in just not getting enough sleep you know, just being tired. I think about these graduates, I think about their parents, and and the the month of May is just packed full. For anyone who's in education world or teaching or you've got a kid or a grandparent, you understand there's a a field trip or a a field day or all all these exciting things going on. It's very very busy. And, And it's just that they're not getting enough rest. They're not getting enough sleep. But would you agree with me? There's a difference in just, oh, I'm tired. I didn't get enough sleep. I worked a little extra hard yesterday. Maybe I overdid it. And that, how do you describe it? That kind of soul fatigue. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's two different kinds of tired. One is you're not getting enough sleep at night. I'm talking about the reason you're not getting enough sleep. What keeps you up at night? I'm talking about the kind of tired you feel in your heart, the kind of weight of anxiety. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The weight of guilt, of unmet expectations. That's what I'm talking about. I want you to imagine that invitation to rest, not just physical rest, not just sleep, but thinking like, what would it be like to say, I, I don't have any anxiety, I'm at, I'm at real rest, I have shalom, I have peace, but to be financially at, at peace, you know, I'm, I'm set, to have my relationships such that like, there's generally shalom, there's good health in my community of relationships, that's what we're after, that's what we long for, to have peace, to have a kind of health, a soul at rest. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, 
Look at this text. Is this not a staggering invitation by the Lord Jesus? He says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, worn down, burdened, weary, all you weary and burdened, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a promise. You're not going to find rest anywhere else. Notice a couple things about this. Notice he says, come where? Come to me. There's a lot of people that are talking about Jesus. There's a, there's a lot of ancillary places you could run to. He says, no, no, no. No, this morning, Sunday morning, May 21st, this is just you and Jesus. He's saying, come to me. Somebody in this room needs to hear that. Not about the trappings of Jesus. Not, not even come to church or some religious uh, uh, trappings. You come to Jesus himself. He is personally inviting you. Come to me. You're not going to find what you're looking for down any dark and blind alley. You're not going to find what you're looking for at the end of some path of, of, of pleasure the world told you. You're not, you're not going to find what you're looking for if only in the second service when I've got all those graduates lined up in the front row. I plan to tell them uh, you're not going to find what you're looking for. A lot of people, it's the next achievement. And for these graduates, they're thinking with final exams especially, if I can just get through May, if I can just get through May. What I'm going to tell them that you already know is there's always another if I can just get through. For the rest of your life, there'll be a if I can just get through, won't there? If I can just get through this weekend. For some of you, if I can just get through this sermon. If I, I, I know, I know. You see what I mean? There's always another if I can just get through, right? And so Jesus says, you're not going to find it living by an if only, if only, if only. I'm telling you where to find rest. Come to me. I can give you what you can't find at the end of any other. After Jesus, there is no more if I only get through. He says, you just get to me. You come to me. There you'll find rest. And I love who the invitation is for. All who labor and are heavy laden. If you're worn out, this is for you. The self-made and the put-together need not apply. Think about the context of Matthew 11 and 12 with me for a second. Remember there was a block of teaching at the Sermon on the Mount, and then Jesus lived out the kingdom. Then another block of teaching in chapter 10. And now in 11 and 12, it's all about the reactions to Jesus. And it's a mixed bag. Some people are all in on him. Some people, the Pharisees, are starting to become all against him, totally hostile. Others are not sure what to do. Like John the Baptist, in the beginning of chapter 11, he's going, I don't know, are, are you the one? Or Did I miss something? Here I am in prison. Jesus just didn't fulfill the, he didn't think he was the Messiah that he expected, right? And so even the, there's, there's a mixed bag of reactions. And just in the verses right before this, Jesus says, I thank you, Father. You've given me all authority. And here's what you've done, Father. You have the mystery of who I am. It seems like you've hidden it from the wise and understanding and revealed it to little children. It's kind of like these big proud cities, and he names some of these cities. He's like, they're so, Capernaum thinks it's high and lifted up. It's going to be brought down low. It doesn't understand. And then he's going to give a teaching in chapter 13 all about the parables. My point is simply this. In the context, he's saying some people are missing who Jesus is, and it's the very people you think would be first to get it, like the Pharisees, right? Like the religious teachers. They should be the first ones to understand who Jesus is, and they're missing it. But the weak and the lowly are starting to follow him. The weak and the lowly, the ones you wouldn't think would get it, the weary and heavy laden. And Jesus, it's like he's saying, when you come to me, all you need 
is need. The thing that's going to keep you from Jesus is your pride. But the thing that will draw you, need. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Okay, I said that the the best part was who it was for, but uh, here's here's an even better best part. When you come to Jesus, I love this, uh, he didn't ask how you got that way. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'm going to have a lot of questions for you. Because I want to know how you got that way. Right? Right? He, 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 He doesn't even bring that up. He assumes you're weary and heavy laden. And guess what? He knows how you got that way. Some of it was what other people have put on you. Others, he knows we did this to ourselves. He... What? Oh, the grace of Jesus that he's not looking to judge you for how you got that way. He's looking to give you what you really need, rest, not what you deserve. Incredible. Oh, what Jesus can offer, rest. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. Verse 28 is like a warm comforter on a cold Alabama night. A crackling fire. Golf on television. And our souls can just drift off to sleep. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and there you'll find rest for your souls. Wait, what? What just happened here? What did Jesus just do? Are you tired? Are you weary? Come to me. Yeah, I'll give you rest. And then he slaps a yoke on us. He calls the burden to himself, and then he makes us a beast of burden. Take my yoke upon you is the last thing that we would think. Take my pillow. Take my down comforter. Take my slanket, but not take my yoke. How can you call the beast of burden to yourself and then make them a beast of burden? You guys know yoke, right? I put a picture up here for you. See, I'm here to help. Can you imagine Jesus says, come to me, everybody who's tired, and I'm going to put this yoke on you. Take my yoke upon you. How can he do that? Is is this divine bait and switch? As if you come to Jesus when you're weary, and you think, oh, Jesus, the preacher told me Jesus was going to be the thing to give me rest. And then he gives you more burdens? You might not admit it in church, but there are many people That is their understanding of the Christian life. It's a burden. There are many people, that's how they understand living for Jesus. You give, you sacrifice. Why do you do all this? Well, because, you know, we're supposed to, or, you know, I know that something about, you know, I got to go to heaven when I die. You know, this is their thinking. As if Jesus calls you to himself and then says, listen, here's what I want you to do. You've got a mission. You've got to love me. You've got to obey me. Oh, also, you've, got, um, you've also got the great commission. You have to take my uh, gospel to the ends of the earth and put other people under the same burden that you're under. Go out and share with them. Yeah. And I know you're exhausted from work all week, but then you've got to come on Sunday. Yeah. And Wednesday. Yeah. And I know you, 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 you got all these financial pressures, but you also got to give. Don't forget giving. And it just feels, it's like, is this what it means to follow you, Lord? You would never admit that in church because serving the Lord is supposed to be a joy and you know you're missing something. But just a lot of days, it just, you feel like this is a burden. You wouldn't admit it in church. But, but the Bible in Psalm 73, the psalmist does admit it. He says, when I considered the wicked, 
for a brief moment, he says, I almost lost my way. If you'll go back later today and look at Psalm 73, you'll see there's a man who, who had a misunderstanding of what it meant to follow God, and he said, I envied the wicked. I, I did it. I know you're not supposed to admit that, but he looked around and he goes, here I am faithfully serving you, God, and I look at the wicked, and they don't seem to have any troubles. Me, all I've got is trouble. And if you know all my trouble, at least they can just read the paper and have a cup of coffee on a Sunday morning. Me, i got to go to church. Can you imagine? You, again, you would never admit this in church. But there are many people who think Jesus puts that yoke on you, says, good luck, but don't worry. I mean, I'm with you. I'll, lo, I'm with you to the ends of the earth. But, you know, you've got to figure this out. You've got to serve me. You've got to please me. You've got to do all these things. That is the understanding that I think Jesus knows people have that understanding. And here's why I say that. that, that that's the idea of the yoke, the law. The Pharisees would often refer to the Torah, right, God's law, as a yoke, a, a, a yoke that we had to wear, a yoke of legislation. And that's why it causes Jesus, in a, a few chapters from now, I'll go ahead and put it up here, in Matthew 23, look what he accuses the Pharisees of doing. He says, here's what the Pharisees do. They don't practice what they preach. They're very good at tying up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and then what do they do? They lay them on people's shoulders. What's he describing? A yoke. He says, now, they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. That's great. They won't, we get the phrase, they won't lift a finger. We actually get practice what they preach and won't lift a finger are both from Matthew, uh, that chapter. He's saying that so the Pharisees don't practice what they preach. And that's how many people view legalistic religion. It just weighs down. It's a yoke that burdens. I don't want to belabor the point, but... I was reminded of, uh, as I was preparing for this, my mind kept going back to, have you ever read Philip Yancey's book? It's been out uh, probably over a decade or two uh, at least. Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace. If you ever get a chance, the opening illustration uh, will just rip your heart out. This, this woman uh, comes to Yancey. He's in this crisis counseling position, and she comes and shares things that just, I mean, you can hardly read them. Um, she's been involved in prostitution and any manner of... Oh, to, to fund the addictions that she's on and all this. And she comes because of what's happening to her two-year-old daughter. And uh, I, I just leave it at that, just horrific. And in the course of counseling, Yancey says, uh, at one point it comes up, have you considered church? And this is her response, church? Why would I ever go there? I already feel terrible about myself. They would just make me feel worse. That's what I'm talking about. That's the yoke. For so many people, when you hear, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, they don't hear rest in Jesus. They hear just another yoke to wear. And I'm already burdened. Why would I ever want to go to church? Why would I ever want to hear? They think the Bible is just a big list of rules, and they go, I can't even keep the rules in my own life. Why would I want to put this yoke on me, which is just going to weigh me down even further? So how is it, Jesus? How is your yoke any different? How can you promise rest for our souls? How can, how can following you and being obedient to you be rest for our souls? I don't understand. Well, this is a paradox. How can you say, come to me and I'll give you rest, but take my yoke upon you? How is this? Well, verse 30 helps solve the riddle. For my yoke is easy. And my burden 
is light. Key word, my. Take a look at this verse carefully. Go back. Think about it. My yoke, my burden, learn from me. I'm lowly and humble of heart. Show me once where he mentions your yoke, your burden. This was a Copernican shift in my understanding of Christianity, and I remember where I was when it happened. It was over 20 years ago. They had gathered a group of New York City church planters and uh, uh, those of us that were pastors taking over for church plants, and they had us in a room, uh, uh, and uh, uh, like a lot of young men in ministry, I was working uh, uh, probably to the point of maybe burnout, uh, trying so hard to, to pour into this, uh, th- th- this early church work. And uh, we were gathered there, and, and they were going to do an event to try to talk to these, uh, uh, talk to these ministers and, and help us and bless us. And they had invited a speaker that you may know from uh, his book, Experiencing God, which he co-wrote with Henry Blackaby. His name was Claude King. Now, I don't know if you ever had a chance to hear Claude King speak. He's not known for being a particularly dynamic uh, preacher. He's not, you know, loud and, and uh, uh, flamboyant or anything. He gets up there, and I'd never heard him before, and I thought, you know, what is this guy, you know, uh, uh, just so soft-spoken. But if you hear him within two or three minutes, it occurs to you, this man knows God. Like, knows God. Not just like knows about God. This man walks in fellowship with God, and he began speaking so softly and clearly, and it was like light bulbs just going off. He, he preached on Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 30, and I'll never forget, he's standing up there in front of all these ministers, many of whom like me, and he said, uh, some of you are imagining that when Jesus invites you to take his yoke upon you, that's my Claude King impression, when Jesus invites you to take your, his yoke, that he hands you a single yoke and says, good luck. He said, don't you know that's the wrong model altogether? No, no, no. When Jesus hands you a yoke, it's not some single yoke that he says, good luck. No, the mighty Jesus takes the yoke of your ministry. The mighty Jesus takes all the burdens of your life and he puts them across his own mighty shoulders. It's a double yoke and then he has a custom yoke fitted just for you and he invites you to join him in his work. It was like a light bulb went off. In other words, the image here, Jesus is saying, is not some single yoke where he's like, good luck, but a double yoke. We're yoked to Jesus. And I've tried to illustrate it with these photos using an X over the single yoke and a check mark that I made in Microsoft Word art (laughs) to illustrate my point. Don't you see what a difference this is? Jesus' yoke here is easy and his burden is light because it's not a single yoke. We're yoked to the mighty Jesus. I can carry a million pounds if someone stronger than me keeps it just a quarter inch off my back. Can't you? So it turns out ranchers do this all the time. It turns out this is something that farmers do. I didn't know this, but as I'm... I'm, I'm, searching Matthew 11, uh, 28, and somebody was uh, uh, commenting, oh, yeah, 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 if if somebody's working the ground, it says, often, if I get a new ox on my farm, on my team, he says, oh, yeah, I would never just put a new ox out there by himself, and I certainly wouldn't put two new oxes by himself. No, what do I do? I take a rookie ox, and I yoke them to my oldest, most experienced ox. I yoke them together, And then all that young ox has to do is just go where the big one goes. 
And, he said, and, and here's the line that got me. It says, in the beginning, that young ox, that new ox, does very little, if any, of the pulling. I thought, that's discipleship. I even like this picture. Doesn't it look like the one on the left is that sort of old, grizzled ox? Like, all right, rookie, I got this. And this one over here on the right, right? That, that's us. When you're yoked to Jesus, the mighty Jesus does the work. Your job is just to stay yoked to Jesus. Jesus says, in fact, let's press it a little further. Not only does Jesus do most of the work, and we do a little bit. Don't you remember in John 15, Jesus, in fact, said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, there's an image for you. You're yoked to Jesus, and your little hooves don't even touch the ground. What an image. What a thought to think your job is to be yoked to Jesus. You know, so many Christians I know, they, they feel like I'm not enough. I'm not doing enough. Can you imagine looking at Jesus who you're yoked next to, the mighty Jesus who has the weight of the world on his shoulders? Can you imagine looking at Jesus saying, I'm not doing enough? And he looks back and says, actually, you're doing nothing. Let me. I got you. Your job is what? Stay yoked to Jesus. Did you hear me say that? Your job is stay yoked to Jesus. The reason his yoke is easy and his burden is light is because he's carrying it. You stay yoked to him. You lay your burdens in him. You say, Lord, I can't, but you can, and you do that every day. Your job is just stay yoked to him. And, 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 and if you're yoked to him, when he goes this way, you go this way. A few weeks ago, I talked about the pleasing God trail or the trusting God trail. And the pleasing God, people are wearing themselves out to do something. The trusting God is just walking step by step with him, in relationship with him. That's what he desires. And don't take the burden back on. The, uh, uh, the, the Christians who feel like, you know, I'm not, I'm not serving enough, I'm not doing enough, just stay yoked to Jesus. Your part in this, stay yoked to Jesus. I can't wait to tell those graduates uh, for their whole life long, just stay yoked to Jesus. I can't wait to tell you this morning, your whole life long, stay yoked to Jesus. Abide in him. Learn from him. Now, at this point, there may be a potential objection. Maybe. There may be someone who would say, well, and this would come from someone who maybe doesn't have faith in Christ yet. What if if someone were to say to me, well, preacher, I appreciate what you're saying, but uh, I would actually uh, not prefer to be yoked to Jesus. I am going to be free, and I hereby choose not to be yoked to anyone or anything. Do you know what I would say to that objection? Oh, friend, think carefully. You will be yoked to someone or something. You can believe the Bible. If you don't believe the Bible, believe Bob Dylan. He said, you got to serve somebody. He's right. There's no one. Oh, the illusion of freedom. If you're not yoked to Jesus, ponder for a second what you're yoked to. What do you wake up in the morning and you feel it like like a weight on your neck? You feel it. I don't even have to preach to you. I don't even have to tell you. You already know what it is. You know what's that thing that you wake up with in the morning and you go to bed at night and it is weighing you down. It is burdening you. Don't tell me you're not yoked to something. Don't tell me you're not yoked to something. 
How else then would you have such anxiety, such fear, such guilt? It's weighing you down. It may be debt. It may be wrong relationships. It may be substance abuse. Whatever. You will be yoked to someone or something. And if you say, not me. I do what I want. I do what only I say. I'm my own boss. Then you are yoked to yourself. You are yoked to pride. Either way, it's going to bring you down. Those who are yoked to guilt or to approval. What yoke are you wearing that is wearing you out? Consider that. Jesus' offer is for you. Take that guilt, put it on me. Take that condemnation that you feel never good enough. Oh, put it on me. Take your stress, your fear, even your your greatest fear, whatever, your fear of death. You put it on me. You allow me to pull it. And if you're not yoked to Jesus, you are yoked to something or someone that will never give you rest. Did you hear me? If you are not yoked to Jesus, that means right now you are eternally yoked to something that will never give you rest for your soul. I googled sad cows to illustrate this point. <laughs> you are not yoked to Jesus. Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message says, in Romans 6.23, he says, Work all your life for sin and your retirement pension is death. Don't think you're not yoked to someone or something. No one is yoked less, so it's all about to whom will you be yoked. So take all that burden, yoke it to Jesus, and find his freedom, his joy, and his rest. So then I googled happy cow. Yeah, that's what we're going for. That's us. Freedom in Christ. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see it? Now, what makes his yoke easy and his burden light? The answer, love. When you love someone, don't you see how love and obedience are inextricably linked? Do you remember in 1 John chapter 5 what he says in 1 John 5, 3? Look at this verse. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Okay, so here we are again. We love God, and he puts this yoke. Ah, but his commandments are not burdensome. Is it a burden to buy flowers when you head over heels in love? No. If we ask a little bird, are you burdened by those wings? You ever get tired of those wings on your side? A little bird would answer, are you kidding? Burden? These are my means of freedom. To a Christian who truly understands the heart of God, to a Christian who's been yoked to Jesus, you know what they would say? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. His commands are his blessings. His blessings are his commands. That's why in Psalm 19, the psalmist who's yoked to the Lord, he says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on your law day and night. I can't get enough of the way you direct my life. I love the message translation, a paraphrase of this passage. Uh, Come to me, all you who are weary. Peterson writes, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and rightly. Now, let's get really practical. What do I mean by this? When I say stay yoked to Jesus, it is technically a metaphor, so I want to Leave no room for misunderstanding. Let's get super practical. I mean at least a couple things. At least my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's verse 30. If we put that up there. That, 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 at the very least, to stay yoked to Jesus means abide in him. Let's start with, are you having a daily time with your Lord? Is there a daily time that's sweet with the Lord Jesus? Even if it's just a few minutes a day, 
You might take, if you could start with 15 minutes and you could take five minutes just to be in his presence and to praise him and to thank him for who he is, to give gratitude. That, that alone would change your day. And then take five minutes and meditate on a portion of his word, on a scripture verse. You say, well, I don't know what to read. Well, if I Google daily Bible reading plan and I got 4.9 million results. Now that, I went through each one of those. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you the best daily Bible reading plan is, you ready? Any of them. It's the Bible. Pick one. Go. Now that's solved, okay? You get your daily Bible reading plan, meditate on a portion of Scripture, scripture and then take five minutes and, and pray and ask the Lord specifically for what you need, what you want. Like a little child talking to his father. Like, you know, someone you're yoked in relationship to. And, and here's what you'll do. You, you, you don't beat yourself up. I should be doing more. I should be doing more. Listen, every Christian thinks they should be doing more. Yeah, we all should be doing more. We're, we're not going to have complete sanctification until we're glorified. Fine. What I'm saying is if you'll start with something consistent every day, you'll find your life is abiding in him, and over time, he, you're, you're remaining in him. He's remaining in you, and you find your yoke to him throughout that day. Changes things. So that's it. The other you're already doing, that's committing to corporate worship, coming together, those unforced rhythms of grace week after week. These are ways, and, and you'll think of many others, but these are ways we abide in him. You know, there's really two ways to live. You know, um, uh, a story's told about a, a, a counselor in uh, New York City whose uh, guy poured out all his problems, and uh, he said, come outside, let's take a walk, and he walks down. Uh, 6th Avenue there and gets to the statue of Atlas. You know Atlas, right? Atlas was the uh, Greek mythology who's who's holding the whole world on his shoulders. Can you picture this giant statue of Atlas holding the whole world on his shoulders? And he says, think about this for for a minute. Of course, the counselee has no idea where he's going with this. Okay. And then he takes him across the street to a cathedral where there's a famous mural of Jesus holding the whole world in his hand. And he simply said, there's two ways to live. What's it going to be? Are you going to live your life with the whole weight of the world on your shoulders? Or will you trust the one who holds the whole weight of the world in his hands? See, you leave those burdens with the Lord Jesus and don't take them up again. Can you imagine? I know I'm a weary man with an incredible load trying to climb an impossible mountain. Can you imagine? I'm not going to make it. I'm burdened. I'm burdened down. I doubt I could make this mountain even without my heavy burden. But with my heavy burden, I'll never make it. And there Jesus pulls up in a pickup truck. Stay with me. King Jesus pulls up in a pickup truck. So could I give you a ride? <laughs> Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you the cargo bed of an F-150. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. I throw the burden in the back of the truck. I get in the back of the truck. Now, how many of you can relate to this? We get going a little while, and Jesus looks in the rearview mirror. What does he see in the back of the cargo? I've taken that burden, and I've put it right on my back, and I'm being weighed down by it. How ridiculous is that? It's as if Jesus would say to you, hey, if the truck can pull both you and your burden, then why don't you just lay it down? Why are you still carrying it? Clearly, I've got the whole world in my sho- on my shoulders. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Even to those who would, uh, like, uh, it's very common among those who serve the Lord faithfully in, uh, in Christian ministry, 
Uh, so many, in, even as I look out, there's so many of you, you, you work so faithfully, you volunteer so faithfully. Uh, even those who uh, work in Christian ministry can sometimes be guilty of uh, being worried about so many things that we, um, that we miss the presence of the Lord. Uh, I will leave, an, it's another sermon for another day, but uh, uh, poor, uh, the story of Mary and Martha, poor Martha gets picked on way too much, in my opinion. Every chance I get, I always try to defend Martha. Uh, but you do remember at the end of Luke, we won't preach on it today, but at the end of Luke, I just by way of illustration, um, uh, Jesus comes to the home of Mary and Martha, and there's two reactions. Uh, Mary thinks, oh, Jesus is coming. More time to listen to him. And Martha thinks, ah, Jesus is coming. <laughs> well, I wish he'd called. And so, uh, but the the Bible says, though, um, that Mary sat down and listened to the Lord's teaching at his feet, but Martha was distracted with much serving, distracted with much serving. And uh, a kind word to those of you who uh, are like Martha, many of us feel like Martha, Uh, I want you to hear a word of grace. when, uh, when Jesus, when, when, when she tells Jesus, uh, my sister hadn't done anything to help me, you tell her to help me. Can you imagine she's commanding Jesus? You tell her, anytime you're commanding the Lord, you're in a, you're in a bad space, but uh, you tell her to help me. And here's what he says. He doesn't say, Martha, 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 you wicked soul, you will now be castigated by every preacher for the next 2,000 years. He doesn't say that. He loves her. He knows her heart is for the Lord. So he's so tender with her. And to anybody who feels like a Martha, it's not wrong what you're doing. It's not bad, all this serving. No, 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 not at all. Hear the grace of Jesus. He points out, Martha, Martha, oh, this is fine. But Mary has chosen the one needful thing. And I'm not going to take it away from her. In the midst of all this serving, she's chosen what's truly needful, abiding with me. You say, well... With that attitude, nothing would ever get done in this church except everybody would just be in constant relationship with Jesus. <laughs> I'm willing to take that chance. And you know what you do when you're in constant relationship with Jesus? You serve. Just a few chapters later, for anybody, don't ever pick on Martha. Just a few chapters later in John 12, what's she doing? She's serving. Where, where Martha breaks the jar of perfume open at his feet. Jesus doesn't say that's wrong at all. No, 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 no. That's good. Uh, but don't miss... Uh, in serving the Lord, the Lord of all our serving. Don't miss him. Well, uh, the musicians are going to come. That's really the end of my message, but I'm in the unusual situation of having seven minutes left. (laughs) Because we're in uncharted territory, I may have shared this illustration before, but uh, when I was a kid, the the, the way I like to picture this easy yoke and light burden, when I was a kid, um, I had one of those... uh, uh, Fisher Price lawnmowers. Can you imagine what I'm talking about? These little toy lawnmowers. They would go pop, 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 pop. When you, you know, they, 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 they weren't obviously they weren't real. They were toys. And uh, my dad, we, we lived in Cincinnati, Ohio at that time. We moved when I was five. And uh, dad uh, was the janitor of our church. He just kind of volunteered there to clean things up, and he would always cut the grass. And uh, uh, I, I must have been around four years old. I couldn't have been much older than that. And dad lo- loads up his mower in the back of the truck. And he says, hey, you want to come with me to cut the grass over at the church? Yeah. You know, he's like, uh, don't tell mom. I'm like, yeah. And uh, so he loads up my little Fisher-Price mower. You with me? So he, we get to the church. And there he cranks that big mower. And I pretend to crank my little mower. 
And then he starts cutting down the grass, and there I am walking right behind him with my mower. And I thought, what a sight we must be for DHR. <laughs> and he's cutting, and I mean, it's hot, and that grass is thick, and he's pushing. But if I stay right where he walked, if I stay right in line with him, my mower goes right over. Hmm? Well, imagine with me at the end of that mowing and, and the yard is cut dad wipes the sweat from his brow and I look up imagine how ridiculous will you imagine how silly if I looked up and said to my dad boy we sure cut a good lawn today didn't we dad now how silly is that any outside observer would say we you do realize your lawnmower didn't have any blades right we Tom, you do realize you probably got in your dad's way. If anything, you got in his way. It took him longer because of you. But dad didn't say that, and you wouldn't say that to your kid. What did he say? Yes, we did. Well done. You get the point? One day the smoke's going to clear on all, the dust is going to settle on all our ministries here, saints. 100, 200 years from now, if the Lord tarries, none of us are going to be here. These graduates and the next generation and their kids, fine, but we'll be gone. And when we meet the Lord Jesus, do, do, do you realize how ridiculous it will be to say to Jesus, Oh, Lord, what an impact we made in Coleman, Alabama, didn't we, Lord? We gave to missions and we went around the world and we had missionaries. Think about all that's been done through this church alone, let alone all the other great churches in this county and around the country and around the world. Oh, Lord, didn't we do so much, Lord, didn't we? Any outside observer would say, you realize, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you realize you never saved a soul? Your mower didn't have any blades, man. Won't our Lord Jesus have the grace to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that something? To think that he would use this. I think I may get in his way more than I actually help him, and yet he invites me into his work. Why? Because my work is just remain yoked to Jesus. Just stay with Jesus. Just abide in Jesus. And at the end of our journey, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's rest. Let's pray. Oh God, grant that we would abide in you. Grant that we would be a people who abide in you. If there's anybody here who doesn't know you today, let today be the day they receive this invitation and come to you. If they're weary and heavy laden, let today be that day. God, for the burden, grant that we might not miss you in serving you, but that we would just abide in you day in, day out, trusting you more and more. Get us to a point where we love to keep your law. We love to keep your commandments because we, in our heart of hearts, can say your commandments are not burdensome. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing all the work. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving us. When we're helpless and hopeless and dead in our sins and transgressions, you, Holy Spirit, brought us to new life. You alone. Oh, thank you. So God, let us bring everything we have burdensome to you, come to you, and find that rest for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet for the invitation?